All right. Welcome, everybody, to either my YouTube show, which is Jamel Saladin 2.0, or you're listening right now to Reversible Jacket on RSS.com, Spotify, or Amazon Music. So, you know why you're here. You've seen the title. I want to say up front, I don't want to trick anybody to being awakened. I think we use that word way too loosely anyway. You know, I'm woke. I don't think people put enough time. You know, a lot of people that's using these words, I'm woke, the woke movement. It's being misused. I spoke the other day about the, the word weird being used, overused. So therefore, when things are really weird, which we will discuss some things in this show, obviously, you see the title. When things are really weird, it's just average now. It's, it, it doesn't have the same effect overusing things. So getting back to what I was saying, I don't want this is definitely a red pill show. I don't want to trick you into waking you up. If you move forward and you watch what I'm about to present, there's a high probability that your whole perspective will change, especially if you are of the Christian faith. And that is not a thread. That is not... You, you guys know how I move, okay? I'm going to come with sources in a whole bit so that being said if you're ready to move forward you're good let's go all right first of all before we even get started here i definitely want to give some praise and accolades to some of the men that inspired me you know along my journey it's been a long journey and my journey's not over by far I still feel like I have so much more to learn on my journey, and I look forward to that. Anyway, the first guy is Dr. Anthony Browder. Uh, Anthony T. Browder is an author, a publisher, a cultural historian, artist, and an educational consultant. He is a graduate of Howard University College of Fine Arts and has lectured extensively throughout the United States, Africa, the Caribbean, Mexico, Japan and Europe on issues related to African and African American history and culture. So just give some praise to him. His mentor, Dr. Youssef Ben Jokanan, who is a Ethiopian slash Puerto Rican American historian and Egyptologist. If you don't know who these guys are, I'm not going to spend a lot of time going running down their resume. I'm just telling you I want to give some praise and I'm mentioning their names for the people that want to know where I'm, you know, how do I get a lot of the information that I have? Well, I listen and I read to a, a lot of these guys and then I go back and research. All right. So, Dr. A lot of people just call him Dr. Ben. So you've probably heard the name before. And last but not least by far. Um, is he's not a doctor, but his name is Billy Carson. Um, he's definitely on the rise of notoriety, but I like his style because it doesn't it doesn't seem like he cares too much about notoriety. 
he's just really focused on what you know his mission is and Billy earned a certificate of science with an emphasis on neuroscience at MIT. Among his most notable achievements, Billy is the CEO of First Class Space Agency based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Specifically, his space agency is involved in research. He's a heck of a researcher. Heck of a researcher. And an intellectual. And development of alternative propulsion systems and zero-point energy devices. I'm telling you, this guy is something else. Um, he has his own channel, Forbidden Knowledge. I am a member over there. He has um, his own record label, Pantheon Elite Records, where if you are a conscious artist, you might have uh, a shot at getting signed to his record label. Who knows? And um, he also has a mystery school. Um, now, I don't want anyone to be misled. I was already in a mystery school before I ran into Billy's work. It just so happened that my, um, my intuition told me it, it's really vibing with him because it's an alignment of what I've been learning so far. All right. And then it had an addition. You know, I've, I've learned from all of these men, not just, and I, there's others I've learned from, but you know, I want to get the show started. You, you came to hear, but I will say this patience is a, a virtue. That's just not a saying just to, to say it. It's been a saying throughout the ages for a reason. Patience is a virtue. So I won't hold up the show. But if you left already because I didn't get right to the meat and potatoes, that says something about you. You have to slow down your vibration. You have to slow it down, which means I would look into some type of meditation. Okay, let's get into this thing. Let's keep on going. Anyway. All right, so we're going to listen to some audio from a Zachariah Sitchin. And he's giving a summary of the story of Inki and Ninhursag, which are, you know, this story is part of the Sumerian tablets. You can find this in the Sumerian tablets, all right? So just to give a little bit of context, um, the story of Inki and Ninhursag is a Sumerian text known as the Kurgalta or the Iridu Genesis cycle. It describes the creation of the world and the birth of the gods, as well as the relationship between Enki and Ninhursag. Now, you're probably saying, you know, why, why, Saladin, would I listen to this and not my Bible? You understand? Well, that is a great question. And I'm down to answer that. So let's say, let's just talk about what predates what. Many scholars agree that the Sumerian tablets date back to 3500 BC. However, I have heard some scholars, scholars such as Billy Carson, date them back even further. And I'm talking about way further. Okay. Either way, let's keep going. Many scholars believe that the prophet Zara 
Fuchsia, the founder of Zoroastrianism, date back to 1500, 1000 BC. I think you get where I'm going with this. Judaism, which was the inspiration for Christianity and Islam, dates back to 600 and 500 BC. So, your question about why would I listen to this, keep in mind, we're only going off of one story and one epic out of the Sumerian tablets. If you watch my other videos, I have read from the Sumerian tablets, which you can tell, let's take the story of the, uh, the floods. You can tell there's a similarity between Noah's Ark and the story about the floods in the Sumerian tablets. I was reading it and someone asked, what flood is this? Well, these tablets predate Judaism altogether, predates the Bible altogether. All right, so we'll get there. We'll get there. I don't wanna I don't wanna go too far. Anyway, let's listen to some of this audio and then we're gonna have a discussion, all right? Let me put my headphones on. All right. Let's go. The third great god Oh, sorry. Um don't wanna do that. Hold on, give me one second. Here we go. Let's go. God of Sumer was another son of Anu. He bore two names, Ea and Enki. Like his brother Enlil, he too was a god of heaven and earth, a deity originally of the heavens, who had come down to earth. His arrival on earth is associated in Sumerian texts with a time when the waters of the Persian Gulf reached inland much farther than nowadays, turning the southern part of the country into marshlands. Ea, a name meant literally house water, who was a master engineer, planned and supervised the construction of canals, the diking of the rivers, and the draining of the marshlands. He loved to go sailing on these waterways, and especially in the marshlands. The waters, as his name denoted, were indeed his home. He built his great house in the city he had founded at the edge of the marshlands, a city appropriately called Haki, place of the water fishes. It was also known as Eridu. Ea was lord of the salt waters, the seas and oceans. Sumerian texts speak repeatedly of a very early time when the three great gods divided the realms among them. The seas they had given to Anki, the prince of earth, thereby giving Anki the rulership of the Apsu, the deep. As lord of the seas, Ea built ships that sailed to far lands, and especially to places from which precious metals and semi-precious stones were brought to Sumer. The earliest Sumerian cylinder seals depicted Ea as a deity surrounded by flowing streams that were sometimes shown to contain fish. The seals associated Ea with the moon, indicated by its crescent, an association stemming perhaps from the fact that the moon caused the tides of the seas. It was no doubt in reference to such an astral image 
that Ea was given the epithet Nin-Igiku, Lord Bright-Eye. According to the Sumerian texts, including a truly amazing autobiography by Ea himself, he was born in the heavens and came down to earth before there was any settlement or civilization upon earth. When I approached the land, there was much flooding, he stated. He then proceeded to describe the series of actions taken by him to make the land habitable. He filled the Tigris River with fresh, life-giving waters. He appointed a god to supervise the construction of canals, to make the Tigris and Euphrates navigable, and he unclogged the marshlands, filling them up with fish and making them a haven for birds of all kinds, and causing to grow their reeds that were a useful building material. All right, you know, just to reiterate, I know a lot of you guys are on board. Just to reiterate, we're talking about, he's talking about the creation of what we see down here on earth, the development of the surface of the earth. He's talking, that's what he's talking about. But again, I want you guys to keep in mind that this, this information predates the Bible. Let's go. Turning from the seas and rivers to the dry land, Ea claimed that it was he who directed the plow and the yoke, opened the holy furrows, built the stalls, erected sheepfolds. Continuing the self-adulatory text, named by scholars Anki and the World Order, credited the god with bringing to earth the arts of brick-making, construction of dwellings and cities, metallurgy, and so on. Presenting the deity as mankind's greatest benefactor, the god who brought about civilization, many texts also depicted him as mankind's chief protagonist at the councils of the gods. Sumerian and Akkadian deluge texts, on which the biblical account must have drawn, depict Ea as the god who, in defiance of the decision of the assembly of the gods, enabled a trusted follower, the Mesopotamian Noah, to escape the disaster. Indeed, the Sumerian and Akkadian texts, which, like the Old Testament, adhered to the belief that a god or the gods created man through a conscious and deliberate act, attribute to Ea a key role. As the chief scientist of the gods, he outlined the method and the process by which man was to be created. All right, stop right there. I know you heard Noah, um, but re-listen to it, and he's definitely basically saying that the Bible has their own version of the flood and he's talking about the again the similarities. Now that character and the and the Sumerian tablets has a totally different name. It's his name is not Noah. But again, you can look up the epic of creation and I want you. I want to encourage you to do your own study. I don't. I don't want you to just take what I say. So that's why I'm being a little tight-lipped. Let's go. With such affinity to the creation or emergence of man, no wonder that it was Ea who guided Adapa, the model man created by Ea's wisdom, to the abode of Anu in the heavens, in defiance of the gods' determination to withhold eternal life from mankind. Was Ea on the side of man simply because he had a hand? That word was a dapper. Now, when you look up a dapper, 
then you'll find out there's some similarities between Adapa and Adam. But let's keep going. And in his creation? Or did he have other more subjective motives? As we scan the record, we find that invariably Ia's defiance, in mortal and divine matters alike, was aimed mostly at frustrating decisions or plans emanating from Enlil. The record is replete with indications of Ia's burning jealousy of his brother Enlil. Indeed, Ia's other, and perhaps first, name was Enki, Lord of Earth, and the texts dealing with the division of the world among the three gods hint that it may have been simply by a drawing of lots that Ia lost mastery of Earth to his brother Enlil. The gods had clasped hands together, had cast lots, and had divided. Anu then went up to heaven. To Enlil the Earth was made subject, the seas enclosed as with a loop. They had given to Anki, the prince of Earth. As bitter as Ia, Anki, may have been about the results of this drawing, he appears to have nurtured a much deeper resentment. The reason is given by Enki himself in his autobiography. It was he, not Enlil, who was first born, Enki claimed. It was then he, and not Enlil, who was entitled to be the heir apparent to Anu. My father, the king of the universe, brought me forth in the universe. I am the fecund seed. Engendered by the great wild bull, I am the first-born son of Anu. I am the great brother of the gods. I am he who has been born as the first son of the divine Anu. Since the codes of laws by which men lived in the ancient Near East were given by the gods, it stands to reason that the social and family laws applying to men were copies of those applying to the gods. Court and family records found at such sites as Mari and Nutsi have confirmed that the biblical customs and laws by which the Hebrew patriarchs lived were the laws by which kings and noblemen were bound throughout the ancient Near East. The succession problems the patriarchs faced are therefore instructive. Abraham, deprived of a child by the apparent barrenness of his wife, Sarah, had a firstborn son by her maidservant, yet this son, Ishmael, was excluded from the patriarchal succession as soon as... Now I want you to pay attention. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. I want you to pay attention to... If you got to rewind 30 seconds, go ahead and do that. I want you to pay attention to the similarities between the story of Abraham and then, you know, Abraham not being able to have a child by his wife and going on to have um, a child by his servant first. Now, I've told you this that this the Sumerian tablets predate the Bible. It's very important you pay attention to the stories and what he's explaining right now. All right? Let's keep going. Maybe I should go back 10 seconds. I'm going to skip back 10 seconds. Let's go. of his wife, Sarah, had a firstborn son by her maidservant. Yet this son, Ishmael, was excluded from the patriarchal succession as soon as Sarah herself bore Abraham a son, Isaac. Isaac's wife, Rebekah, was pregnant with twins. The one who was technically firstborn was Esau. 
a reddish, hairy, and rugged fellow. Holding on to Esau's heel was the more refined Jacob, whom Rebekah cherished. When the aging and half-blind Isaac was about to proclaim his testament, Rebekah used a ruse to have the blessing of succession bestowed on Jacob rather than on Esau. Finally, Jacob's succession problems resulted from the fact that though he served Laban for twenty years to get the hand of Rachel in marriage, Laban forced him to marry her older sister, Leah, instead. It was Leah who bore Jacob his first son, Reuben, and he had many more sons and a daughter by her and by two concubines. Yet when Rachel finally bore him her firstborn son, Joseph, Jacob preferred him over his brothers. Against the background of such customs and succession laws, one can understand the conflicting claims between Enlil and Ea Enki. Enlil, by all records the son of Anu, and his official consort Antu, was the legal firstborn. But the anguished cry of Enki, I am the fecund seed, I am the firstborn of Anu, must have been a statement of fact. Was he then born to Anu, but by another goddess who was only a concubine? The tale of Isaac and Ishmael, or the story of the twins Esau and Jacob, may have had a prior parallel in the heavenly abode. Though Enki appears to have accepted Enlil's succession prerogatives, some scholars see enough evidence to show a continuing power struggle between the two gods. Samuel N. Kramer has titled one of the ancient texts Enki and his inferiority complex. As we shall see later on, several biblical tales of Eve and the serpent in the Garden of Eden, or the tale of the deluge, involve in their original Sumerian versions instances of defiance by Enki of his brother's edicts. At some point, it seems, Enki decided that there was no sense to his struggle for the divine throne, and he put his efforts into making a son of his, rather than a son of Enlil, the third-generation successor. This he sought to achieve, at least at first, with the aid of his sister, Ninhursag, Lady of the Mountainhead. All right, so here we start with the cultural activities or behavior of marrying or having sexual intercourse with not just a family member, but his sister. Let's keep going. She, too, was a daughter of Anu, but evidently not by Antu, and therein lay another rule of succession. Scholars have wondered in years past why both Abraham and Isaac advertised the fact that their respective wives were also their sisters. See the similarities? Let's keep going. A puzzling claim in view of the biblical prohibition against sexual relations with a sister. But as the legal documents were unearthed at Mari and Nuzi, it became clear that a man could marry a half-sister. Moreover, when all the children of all the wives were considered, the son born of such a wife, being fifty percent more of the pure seed than a son by an unrelated wife, was the legal heir whether or not he was the firstborn son. This incidentally led in Mari and Nuzi to the practice of adopting the preferred wife as a sister in order to make her son the unchallenged legal heir. It was of such a half-sister, Ninhursag, that Enki sought to have a son. She, too, was of the heavens, having come to earth in earliest times. 
Several texts state that when the gods were dividing Earth's domains among themselves, she was given the land of Dilmun, a pure place, a pure land, a place most bright. A text named by the scholars Enki and Nenhursag, a paradise myth, deals with Enki's trip to Dilmun for conjugal purposes. Nenhursag, the text repeatedly stresses, was alone, unattached, a spinster. Though in later times she was depicted as an old matron, she must have been very attractive when she was younger, for the text informs us unabashedly that when Enki neared her, the sight of her caused his penis to water the dikes. Yeah, it just got x-rated. I don't know what to say. Let's keep going. Instructing that they be left alone, Enki poured the semen in the womb of Ninhursag. She took the semen into the womb, the semen of Enki, and then after the nine months of womanhood, she gave birth at the bank of the waters. But the child was a daughter. Having failed to obtain a male heir, Enki then proceeded to make love to his own daughter. He embraced her. He kissed her. Enki this is where things get weird, man. You understand? As I might have accepted, and you could have normalized probably, you doing what you did with your sister. I mean, we've seen that on Game of Thrones. and I don't know why they even keep throwing that kind of like in our face. This activity, but we know it existed, right? But then things got crazy. And he does a little bit too much. Let's keep going. He poured the semen into the womb, but she too bore him a daughter. Enki then went after his granddaughter and made her pregnant too. Things are just getting crazier and crazier, bro. Crazier and crazier. And I'm going to keep it real with you. There are a lot of people who still... Who had the knowledge of the ancient Babylonian religions. And knowing that some of these other religions were just created to control people right they a lot of these people it seems like they're sticking with the ancient babylonian religions but they have to do it it's not highly accepted right it's not one of the three main religions it's definitely definitely not judaism because it becomes this is we're talking about before judaism Actually, what we're talking about is someone saying, yo, I want to start a religion too. And I think, you know, I like how this whole story sounds over here. So I'm going to just take the, <laughs> the storyline and put in my own characters. As you read this, that's exactly what happens. There's no doubt in my mind that the gods of the Bible are the same gods from the Sumerian tablets. This is why when you see things like it says, let us create man in our own image. And when I asked the pastor, what does that mean? And he gave me a poppycock story. You understand? Oh, you know, the Trinity and 
No, bro. No. It had nothing to do with that and everything to do with the story was plagiarized from the beginning. And they did not translate it correctly. Most of the times that it said God in the Bible, it said gods and the Sumerian tablets. Why they chose to leave plural in several different places? In several different places throughout the Bible, they just there's there's many gods, and then there's just then it just goes back to being a monotheistic god. And you can ask your pastor or whoever, and they'll give you some poppycock story if they even dare to answer you. But I guarantee you they have an answer in clocked and loaded. I'm telling you. I mean, what else do I need to tell you? I don't want to tell you nothing. You know, I'm giving you information. You do whatever you want to do with it. Whether that is, whether you, I know you're going to deal with some cognitive dissonance. But this, that's, that was in the beginning. Hold on. Maybe I could just find it real quick. Let me get my Bible real quick. All right. I don't want to waste too much of your time. Let me just see if I can find it real quick. Here we go. I found it. Genesis. I think this is still one. Yeah. Genesis 1, chapter 1, 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and the cattle and blah 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 so who makes more sense me or your pastor right now all right let's finish this but once again the offspring was a female determined to stop these efforts Ninhursag put a curse on him whereby Enki having eaten some plants, became mortally sick. Yeah, he had to be stopped, man. He's out here wilding. So what I'm saying is, if we have these shadow governments and these shadow cultures going on where they're, they're, they're following ancient customs, a lot of crazy stuff was going on, man. A lot of crazy stuff was going on. Jesus. The other gods, however, forced Ninhursag to remove the curse. While these events had... She was just trying to protect her babies. Your man Inky was out of control. And to think, he was the good god. He was the one who had the... the uh, he was the one that really backed the human beings. Backed the, you know... We're going to get into that. Let's finish this. Great bearing on divine affairs... Other tales pertaining to Anki and Nenhursag have a great bearing on human affairs. For according to the Sumerian texts, man was created by Nenhursag, following processes and formulas devised by Enki. She was the chief nurse, the one in charge of medical facilities. It was in that role that the goddess was called Ninti. Let us make man in our own image is it starting to make sense okay 
lady life. Some scholars read in Adapa, the model man of Inki, the biblical Adama, or Adam. The double meaning of the Sumerian T also raises biblical parallels, for T could mean both life and rib, so that Ninti's name meant both lady of life and lady of the rib. The biblical Eve, whose name meant life, was created out of Adam's rib, so Eve too was in a way a lady of life and a lady of the rib. As giver of life to gods and man alike, Ninhursag was spoken of as the mother goddess. She was nicknamed Mamu, the forerunner of our mom or mama, and her symbol was the cutter, the tool used in antiquity by midwives to cut the umbilical cord after birth. All right. That was a lot there. Got a lot of information there. Even down to the part where we get our colloquial, colloquial saying mom or mama from Ninhasak, Nama. I warned you that this would be a, um, an eye-opener for some of you. Many of you, you know, if you know, you know, you know. But my thing is not to just spew out information. I would rather give you some information, tell you where you can find it. This way, if you are interested in studying it, some people like exactly where they're at. That's why I gave the disclosure before I even started talking, right? Because I didn't want to awake you up to something. There's no way in the world you're going to convince me that, like I said, the Bible, the gods of the Bible are not these same gods that they're talking about in the Sumerian tablets. But never before have we been privy to such information because, we're, in my opinion, we're entering a new age. Let's talk about that let's talk about us entering a new age astrology wise right and what that actually means though for my people on um reversible jacket i'm going to read i have a presentation up slides right and the subject line says a shift in the ages and i start with aries because aries becomes before pisces and then we're going to we're going to Aquarius. We're, we're headed. We're not there yet. We're not many people think we're there. We're headed into, we're at the cusp of heading into the age of Aquarius. The age that came before the age of Pisces is known as the age of Aries. The age of Aries is associated with the rise of civilization, specifically with the emergence of agriculture and the development of organized society. This age is also associated with the god Mars, Nergal in Mesopotamian pantheon, who represents war, aggression, and the masculine principle. During the age of Aries, there was a great emphasis on hierarchy and social order, and many cultures developed strong warriors' traditions. This age is also associated with the rise of monotheism as seen in the emergence of judaism and the worship of the god yahweh all right let me see something 
Where's the guy? Where's Pisces? Okay, sorry. I skipped Pisces, so let me go back to Pisces. The age of Pisces is to is said to have begun approximately two thousand years ago, and is associated with the constellation of Pisces. This age is often associated with themes such as sacrifice, compassion, and spirituality, and is said to have been characterized by the rise of major religions such as Christianity which features the symbol of the fish and is associated with the story of Jesus feeding the multitudes with two fish. All right. And then we have Aquarius, which I mentioned earlier. We're on the cusp. It's, it's up and coming. The up and coming age of Aquarius is said to be the next astrological age and is associated with the constellation of Aquarius. This age is often associated with themes such as innovation. Okay, it's making sense. Technology and social justice. It is said to be characterized by a shift towards a more egalitarian society. That just really means equal rather than all of these status quos that are hierarchical, egalitarian is just kind of like equal, okay? Society and a greater emphasis on individual freedom and creativity. Some people believe that this shift is already happening while others view it as a future development. Now, if you did not know, the Bible is written in code. Right. Well, the Old Testament is kind of just the Sumerian tablets that's rewritten with new characters. The New Testament is definitely written in code. The Bible speaks about the age of Aquarius. Now, during the time of Yahshua, because his name wasn't Jesus. I say Jesus to be sensitive to you guys. Right. But his name wasn't Jesus at all. That character, Jesus. Because Jesus didn't start Christianity, right? Jesus inspired the Gnostics movement. And the Romans, to tr truth be told, started Christianity. Which they wasn't even jacking Christianity. But Constantine, as the legend goes, had a dream Da, 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 da. Well, that's another video. We'll get into that. Right? Anyway, let's get back to the Bible. Luke 22 and 10 says, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him in the house where he entereth. And this is symbolic of the age of Aquarius. A man bearing a pitcher of water. At the end of the age of Pisces. Once you get into astrology, then you will find out that the, there are several terms as ages and houses in the constellation. That's not what this show is about. This show was really a primer. A gentle primer. Into letting many people know, to be quite frankly... Many of these religions was created to control the people at the time, and they were plagiarized. Islam was 
came years later, about 500 years later after Christianity. And, you know, the prophet, peace be upon him, prophet Muhammad was a camel driver and taxi driver, if you will. He would drive the Jewish merchants from here to there. And when he did that, he learned a lot about their customs as he was driving them around. He learned a lot about them. And from what I can read, this really inspired him to create Islam. So, therefore, you see the similarities between the characters in Islam, Christianity, the parallels, even to Judaism. But even if you look at Zoroastrianism, it wasn't... um, Judaism did not come from Zoroastrianism either. Because even Zoroastrianism was inspired by the older traditions of that area with with the Sumerian pantheons and gods. So my question is this. Why go to a middleman, right? Why stop at a middleman? Now, I'm not telling you stop going to church. I'm not telling you stop going to temple or or the mosque. I'm not telling you none of those things. It's not how I move. I feel I've said this before. You can find a lot of of good things within your religion. It it it, it depends how you apply the religion to your life to be quite honest with you. If you're going to church because it really you really it restores your energy it restores your spirit. You fully understand what's going on. But, you know, this is a place where you can give worship to whatever God you believe in. And you feel better. Why would I ever tell you to stop doing that? You understand? I think it's better than destroying yourself. Who am I to say that you, yo, you're, not, you're not following? you're not following the right God? I only really intervene when I see other people trying to bully other people about their religion. Yo, you Christians. Who are you to say, yo, you Christians? Your religion itself, too, was inspired by something else and made to control people. Guarantee you. So now you think you're better than them. You can't do that. If you're doing that, slow down. Slow your roll. Apply your religion to you. Because from what it looks like right now. All of these religions. Kind of go all the way back to these ancient gods. Even Hinduism. It, it, It really looks like. All of them jacked the Sumerian story. And as I continue to read from different tablets and different epics and different stories, 
it will all start to line up. Once you see that people were sent out across the earth to kind of run their area the way they were supposed to. But so it would make sense that a lot of these stories, even though they're in different parts of the earth, kind of resemble. They all have the same story of creation. It's like they're all similar. And if you go back and really start reading these tablets, then you'll find out why. Listen, we are at, what, 45 minutes. Good God. Um, If you're still watching, do me a favor. I don't want you to cash at me. I want you to do one thing. Please do one thing. Can you share this on your Facebook? Now, some of you are Christian, and quite frankly, it's not going to look right. You understand? But... If you can and you dare to, can you share this with somebody? Can you share this with somebody? That's all I'm asking. I don't, just keep your money. Just share it on social. Just tweet it. If you don't have the, you know, you think that sharing it on your Facebook because that's too private and everybody going to be watching you, but you do agree with what I'm saying and the message that I'm giving, but you're going to be judged and you're afraid of that. I get it. I totally get it. It's like coming out. You ain't ready for that, right? But sometimes you can still help in a certain way. Maybe it's that one friend that you know that they would appreciate this this here video. Send it to them. All right. That being said, my name is Jamel Saladin. On YouTube, this has been the Jamel Saladin 2.0 show. And on Spotify and Amazon Music, this has been Reversible Jacket Podcast. I thank y'all for checking in with your boy. I'm going to get up up out of here. Until next time, peace out.